0: It's startling to hear from anyone in charge of cybersecurity. You have to assume hackers are already inside your network's defenses. But that's exactly the warning we all got from officials after a massive security intrusion involving an estimated 250 commercial and governmental agencies discovered in December 2020.
1: Hackers used a SolarWinds software update to breach customers' firewalls. This attack is still ongoing. It's not over.
0: Russia continues to interfere with our democracy. I'm prepared to take further actions to respond. Cybersecurity remains a critical business and technology priority for organizations large and small, public and private, and for good reason. The threat environment grows more intense daily, and given the stakes, it's not a topic that leaders generally discuss publicly. As we explore this deeply uncomfortable topic, understand that we're drawing data points from publicly available sources. The breach has reverberated across both public and private sectors. It's shattered confidence in traditional safeguards and spotlighted something that all CIOs and business leaders now need to rebuild in a hurry. Trust. Welcome to Future Enterprise, proudly presented by the thought leaders at IDC. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli, Group Vice President and IT Executive Advisor. On this episode, we're going to tackle a topic that's hugely important for the safety, security, and prosperity of both our nations and our businesses, the future of trust. The SolarWinds incident is a perfect example of the kind of cyber attack that used to be the main focus for most CIOs. But as our lives become increasingly digital, trust isn't earned by being good and doing good. There's a lot more to it. IDC defines trust as a condition that enables decisions to be made between two or more entities that reflect the level of confidence or the potential impact on risk and reputation. In other words, it's all about mitigating risk and creating value. And one of the people whose job it is to help CIOs and business leaders weave trust into the very fabric of their organizations is Program Vice President, responsible for security and trust here at IDC, Frank Dixon. Frank, it's great to see you.
2: Good morning, Joe, it's it's great to be
0: here. Frank, I'm really excited about the opportunity to speak with our guest, but before we bring him on, we should take a moment to set the table for the conversation because trust is a really layered, nuanced and important subject. Why trust instead of cybersecurity?
2: You know, I think when you talk about cybersecurity, cybersecurity is, is really something that goes back a couple of years. It's a very, let's call it 2012 to 2015 kind of conversation, right? Because we were simply looking to prevent people from taking our stuff. As we migrate and mature the whole object of cybersecurity, we start Realizing that our customers have elevated expectations for us. So it's not just enough to be secure. We have to be able to uh, be compliant with standards like HIPAA or PCI DSS or GDPR. We have to be able to, to protect not just the sanctity of the data, but the privacy of our constituencies, right? Because as we know, privacy is start- starting to elevate as a topic. And then our, our, our customers are now expecting us to behave in a, in a certain way congruent with their social norms or, or the way they prefer to be be reflected. And that comes in a way in terms of diversity or inclusion or environments, right? And of course, all of this is, is based on the fundamental attribute of how easy is it to affect one of these variables, both positively and negatively, but it's much more inclusive.
0: You know, Frank... You started out by saying that cybersecurity was a so 2012 kind of comment. How have attitudes and how have priorities changed for organization over the last few years? You know, it's really about a reflection
2: of the overall trends, right? Because we can't talk about cybersecurity or trust in a vacuum. You know, let's face it, the last 12 months have all been about COVID, 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 COVID. And what COVID has done is accelerate trends that were already there in this this idea of digital transformation if you think about what trust is trust is kind of a reflection of the the arc of digital transformation technology overall so as our environment our i.t systems have become more immersive the the demand for trust has become more immersive as well where's trust on the priority Generally, it's probably the top one or top two, right? When, when COVID hit, all of a sudden we had a little bit of a, a rearchitecture of our priorities because the first thing that uh, CEOs want to do is maintain business operations. After we've made it through that crisis mode of digital resiliency, all of a sudden we found that the trust programs are once again on the top of everyone's priority scales.
0: So Frank, it's not that I don't trust you, but this is actually a perfect time to bring in one of those CIOs, it's my pleasure to introduce Nathan Rogers, the CIO of Science Applications International Corporation, better known as SAIC. Nathan, thanks for being here today.
3: Hey, Joe. Hey, Frank. Thanks for having me.
0: Nathan, maybe you could start with a quick primer for anyone who isn't familiar with what your company does.
3: Yeah, SAIC does work for federal, state, and local governments. Um, We have some commercial as well. We have capabilities for every challenge, uh, digital transformation, engineering and integration. We do a lot of work with modernizing uh, vehicles, enterprise IT, modernizing IT, you know, from a manufacturing standpoint, you know, we work on torpedoes and we work on satellites. So you can think of anything IT, uh, we probably do it. And our purpose is amazing, you know, protecting our rights and our freedom as the United States and and our allies. So it's a really important mission that we have.
0: You know, Nathan, obviously trust is really important. Can you talk about how that factors into how you deal with your partners, with your clients, with your customers?
3: You guys kind of hit on it in the intro there, the threats, the cyber threats aren't every American's mind. It's constantly in the news, you know, everyone's thinking about it and building trust is is really hard. You know, I, I really like um, Malcolm Gladwell's book uh, Talking to Strangers. You know, he says the vast majority of people default to truth. And here we are in cybersecurity and, and that's the last thing we default to, right? It's all about, you know, Prove it. Uh, we we need to make sure we verify. You need to earn our trust. And I am personally someone who trusts people. Um, it's hard to have that as your human nature, and you have to constantly fight against it in cybersecurity. And I think that's why it's more than just cybersecurity, because it's that that human nature where you want to trust. You know, and you, you you mentioned the solar winds. You know, everyone trusts their vendors. You have great relationships. They're the best at what they do. But what Russia did, I mean, it was just incredibly significant. It was one of the most significant hacks we've seen in, in years. The Biden administration's taken taking it very seriously, right? And they're going to have an executive order to hopefully improve their supply chain as well that we'll have to abide by so that we can improve trust. But the, the executive order is going to put controls in that actually say they don't trust. So it's, uh, it's a really hard concept and time.
0: There's been a broad push for a more proactive approach to cybersecurity and an always on alert type of mentality. I'd like to share something with you that Matt Drake, SAIC's director of cyber intelligence, had to say on that subject.
4: When we talk about why we're constantly on alert in cybersecurity, I think the easy answer is because we are constantly under attack. I think anyone who's a significant player in the cyber, Uh, world out there if you're not currently under some type of cyber attack you're probably at least being probed Uh, so you have a variety of actors out there who wish to use your systems to further their goals whether they're criminal actors who want to monetize uh, cyber attacks they could be activists who want to use your uh, cyber assets to further their cause and they could be nation-state actors via the various um, APTs that are out there who want to uh, steal information or do damage that further their country's national goals. In addition to that, those kind of external threats, you also have to be aware you have internal threats as well. Uh, Employees uh, who are simply being careless and maybe clicking on things they shouldn't be allowing uh, criminals to have access to our systems or sending out files uh, in ways that aren't secure to the insider threat that's actually Much more malicious and is intentionally trying to do SAIC harm or, you know, kind of harm as a result of them trying to further their own efforts.
0: Thanks to Matt Drake, SAIC Director of Cyber Intelligence, for sharing his insights. Frank, do you have any thoughts? Yeah, you know what? I kind of want to go
2: back to the statement that Nathan said about Malcolm Gladwell saying we want to default to truth. Truth is binary, right? It's either valid or not valid. The problem is when we start talking about trust, trust involves perception. It's our ability to perceive truth. And so as we talk about security and trust, you know, there's this both this quantitative and there's this qualitative attribute associated with trust. And I'm, you know, as a CIO, Nathan, I have to ask, you know, as you're dealing with trust, you know, and there's certain systems where there's no allowability for perception, like a torpedo must go where it must go, because if it doesn't go, like the downside is huge. But there's other routes where we accept some kind of unknown or a little bit of ambiguity or our perception kick-ins. How do you balance this idea, you know, of trust in terms of, the the qualitative our ability to perceive versus that quantitative and, and and measured approach
3: yeah so Matt hit it a little bit you know it's definitely a lot of quantitative um, but certainly qualitative too and so what Matt runs is the Cyber Threat and Intelligence Integration Center we call it a CTIC. it's really about analyzing and measuring all the different information that comes in so we have a lot of partners throughout the government right so the, think of all the intel that is gathered. And then also, you know, the Microsofts of the world and other companies are also gathering intel. And we take all that and try to understand what those threats are. And then we take action on it, right? So if we have to patch a system, we patch it right away. You know, what are those zero-day threats that are identified? If we have an incident, we have to have response really, really quickly. So it's quantitative, but it's also qualitative because we have really good analysts 24-7 looking at this stuff. The other thing too, I think our employees are on the front line of their missions. And it's really important to understand that we train all 25,000 of our employees constantly about phishing and social engineering and what they need to look for, right? Don't just trust an email that comes in. You just click on that funny cat video. God only knows where it's going to take you. So you got to be super, super conscientious. And we do all sorts of tests and we send out fake emails and we want to educate people not only for work, but for their customer sites and at home. Phishing and social engineering are very real, and that is the front lines of this kind of battle.
0: Speaking about employees, at some point during the solar winds incident analysis, supposedly a password, solar winds one, two, three, that, that had been created by a, a, an intern months earlier, was found in an obscure corner of the company's infrastructure. For me, this makes real the abstract statement, you know, the threat environment is growing more intense. And every link in every chain will be severely tested.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, this, is, so this is one of the concepts and, and it's, been zero, it's called zero trust, right? So, and I know a lot of the listeners probably are very familiar with zero trust. And it's something that's been long, around for a long time, but zero trust is kind of the phrase. So here we are saying, we want to trust our employees. We want to trust our partners. We want to trust everyone, but we have zero trust. It's not cultural. Like we're not saying we don't trust people. We do. You know, one of the values of SAIC is integrity and being real. Like, yes, we trust you as an individual. But from a technology perspective, a cybersecurity perspective, we have to have zero trust. We need to make sure you are who you say you are and you're going to the data that you're allowed to go to. And that is really, really complex. You guys hit it in the very beginning. This is a complex world um, with all the digital out there and all the technology and people working from home and We have to look at citizenship too. It it is extremely complex, but that's the concept we're we're really enabling.
0: So let's take a quick break. I have a few passwords I have to change. (laughs) When we come back, we'll talk more about Zero Trust, a verify every link approach to cybersecurity. You're listening to Future Enterprise, a new forward-thinking podcast from IDC focused on how data and technology are reshaping the workplace, applied intelligence, and software. I'm your host, Joe Pucciarelli. If you like what you're hearing, please don't forget to follow and like wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on Twitter and LinkedIn. Just search for IDC. Welcome back. We're talking about the future of trust with Nathan Rogers, the CIO of SAIC. Along for the ride, my colleague, Frank Dixon, Program Vice President, Security and Trust here at IDC. Before the break, we touched on zero-trust security and how that concept has become an imperative commercially and privately, thanks in part to the Solar Winds hack. But that's not the only reason. The other big accelerator has been the sudden pivot to remote work for many of us mandated by the pandemic. Nathan put us in touch with his SVP of digital and IT modernization, Sanjay Sardar, to learn about SAIC's approach to that challenge.
1: Zero Trust is critical to SAIC and our customers long-term. If anything, the pandemic of 2020 has taught us that the workplace of the future has completely changed. Our customers are embracing digital transformation and increasing the number of remote workers and moving more critical business and mission essential workloads to the cloud. These efforts have rendered the traditional practices of enterprise perimeter protection pretty much ineffective. Threat actors are keen to the potential increased attack surfaces created by these changes. Zero Trust strategies replace the idea of trying to protect the internal and external network boundaries with strategies that are employed at the individual level, persons, applications, devices to protect our customers' critical assets. It's important to remember that zero trust is a strategy and not a product. A zero trust strategy is essential to verifying trust for every transaction. Employing a zero trust strategy is based on the key tenets of identity, network access, managed detection and response. They enable our customers to protect their application and data assets, both against active and passive adversarial threats by utilizing identity centric security models. Access control decisions are based on contextual attributes to provide the right level of access to the right resources at the right time.
0: That was Sanjay Sardar, SAIC, Senior Vice President of Digital and IT Modernization. Frank, what's your take?
2: Well, if I could, and if this wasn't a COVID environment, I'd hug him because I absolutely agree with everything that that he said. Trust is the conditions which allow two or more individuals to have decisions made, right? And so we talk about Zero Trust and and what we just heard, right? We're talking about how do we enable decisions to be made individually at a proper time, in a proper feature set, you know, a a congruent term we talk about is least privileged access. But the the issue that I, I think, you know, as we talk about digital transformation, Sometimes in security we, we want to start locking everything down. We want to create these great walls and make everything secure, but that's not really always an option, is it, Nathan? Right? Because as you want to lock everything down, you got users out there and they want a positive user experience. So and so how do you prioritize the provisioning of access, you know, such that you have enough information to allow decisions to be made? But you don't over-provision security so that you're you're wrecking the user experience.
3: It's it's a challenge, Frank. I use the, the analogy here of a universe. What I wanna do is create a universe, and that universe is secure. You know, maybe we need FedRamp compliant cloud. We have the right products in our data center, we're using the right applications. We've taught people how to do DevSecOps, right? Secure development and you, and, and security is built into the development of code and we have code checks. But we build this universe with the right governance in it so that the governance doesn't end up being a roadblock, but it actually enables creativity, enables innovation because people can act freely knowing they're within this secure universe, right? I want people to visit my restaurant at the end of the universe but I want to make sure they have a reservation, right? And they're not a hitchhiker. So it's really important that that universe is safe for people. What happens is, and what we've been really working through, and I think a lot of our customers are working through it, and I'm sure a lot of other CIOs that might be listening to this are working through it, is when you don't have that, you have people spinning up AWS. You have them buying this SaaS product. You have them buying some space or a server and putting it in a network closet in a facility because you don't have that governance broad enough and right enough that they can come to you through some sort of orchestration to get what they need. And that's my goal is to build that out at SAIC. And that's something super important to, to get the concept across.
0: So Nathan, I love that line about the restaurant. I was actually conversing with some folks today in Germany and the comment that they made is, you know, it's not a business if you're not dealing with people. So folks, it's with that idea that I'd like to bring one more voice to this conversation. SAIC's Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer, Alicia Lynch. We asked her a simple but critical question. How do you develop and sustain trust with the third
5: parties SAIC works with? As the CISO, my perspective is it starts with having good policies, practices, and procedures in place. At SAIC, as part of our third party onboarding process, we have multiple ways of reviewing our partners and suppliers based on the type of business we are engaging in with them. For those partners that are engaging with us to participate on contracts, we leverage our supplier portal, which walks suppliers through SAIC's vendor identity proofing process, multi-factor authentication process, and our security compliance and attestation process. These processes confirm who SAIC is doing business with and what kind of security they have in place at their organization and help us identify their documented level of compliance. With this information, we can then determine least privilege by ensuring they only have the access they need to accomplish their mission in support of SAIC. For software and services purchases, we have a robust third-party risk review process. Both our cyber team and procurement team participate in the review process. We review the source of origin of the product, conduct open source research on the security of the product, research on the company that provides the product, and even go as deeply as to determine what country of origin they are getting their funding from. Of course, we ask many pointed security questions and require supporting documentation for statements being made regarding government cloud and FedRAMP certifications.
0: Thanks to Alicia Lynch, Vice President and Chief Information Security Officer at SAIC. Nathan, is there anything you'd like to add?
3: No, I I mean, Alicia hit it, but compliance can be a differentiator. And I got to give credit, Alicia says that all the time. Sometimes I hear, you know, it's table stakes, you need to be compliant, but compliance is not just for p- compliance sake. When you look at the controls that are in these, these regulations and the things we're being asked to do, it's good business. It helps build that trust. It helps verify that we're doing the right things. It puts the controls in place to keep us safe. A lot of these controls that we're seeing, you know, and, and like I mentioned at the beginning, you know, there's another executive order coming down soon. You know, there are a lot of industries that aren't doing them. I have a feeling will be, you know, certainly healthcare, education, finance has all sorts of regulations, but I think other industries too will be adopting more and more. Just spinning up something in AWS doesn't make you secure. You need, you know, you need to put the right controls around it and and actively work it.
0: You know, Frank, um, we talked about the competitive value and and the impact that it has on the mission outcomes of the organization in terms of the experience that the security creates anything you'd like to add to that
2: yeah you hit the buzzword that i was hoping someone was going to say and if you were going to say it i was going to say it and it's that word of outcomes right because at the end of the day we talk about trust we talked about the components of trust but for idc we define three trust outcomes right the first one is about trusted governance, right? To make sure that our organization is trusted. The second step we talk about is trusted ecosystems, right? To make sure our partners, our suppliers are all working together, right? And I'm sure Nathan will hit on this, is right? It's all about creating trust-enabled commerce, right? How do we use trust to differentiate with our customers so that we're either decreasing cost, are generating net new revenue and that's at the end of the day right trust isn't something we do because we're good people you know trust me i like nathan he's a good dude i you know but like it's not about being good it's about how do we drive revenue and i'm sure that that Nathan's looking to use trust to drive revenue for his organization.
3: Yeah, no, that's exactly what I was just getting at. You know, we don't do compliance for compliance sake. We do it as a differentiator. The security and the trust that we build within the SAIC organization gives us the, the our customers the confidence when they come to us that they know We're doing things, you know, securely. Um, And that is super important, um, especially our customers, right? We have got to make sure that we're doing everything on the up and up Whether it's our systems or we're working on our customer systems, you know, this is embedded in in who we are. And like I said, we don't take it for granted and call it table stakes. It's a differentiator and it's at the forefront of our thought.
0: So, Nathan, have you taken any steps to improve security or trust that have had a particularly positive or unexpected or counterintuitive outcome?
3: one of the things we've recently done is moving to office 365 um, and we're doing that in a government high environment so it's called gcc high and by being in that environment it allows us to have a lot more collaboration with teams and some of the issues that specifically our developers have is the ability to collaborate so there's tools they want to use and we haven't really been able to provide that in the past So it's an example of something we've done during the pandemic that is really going to allow our developers to work in better ways. We've also rolled out a couple tools, uh, agile tools as well, that our developers are able to use and and they're secure. And it was a real gap before on how to collaborate in that way.
0: Frank, is that consistent with what you're seeing in the commercial marketplace? Yeah, I I, I think there's
2: a a lot of win-win scenarios out there. Being more secure doesn't necessarily mean a worse user experience, right? And so, some of the things, as we talk about, by enabling products, you know, for example, by picking, you know, a cloud environment and reducing the complexity, you can actually provide more services and more standardization and more enablement. Because what you're able to do is supply more support. You know, it's always easier to support one cloud environment than it is four cloud environments. There's some other similar things that, that are really simple. I mean, Joe, you, you talked about it, right? The heart of that SolarWinds breach was an FTP server with the password of SolarWinds123. You know, and at the end of the day, what's the problem there? It's a password. So we've seen some organizations that have gone to passwordless types of authentication. And by removing the passwords, you know, they're they're fundamentally more secure. And, and the user experience is is much better oh and by the way the number one help desk call is password reset so by going sometimes implementing you know new processes we can provide a better user experience better security and decrease cost I mean those are win-win possibilities but I think the issue that we fundamentally have to focus on is, is kind of what Nathan talked about we have to plan, right? If we if we just allow things to happen, they happen. You know, if we plan out, you know, see our requirements, six, 12, 24-month plans, a lot of times we, we can create better outcomes.
0: So Frank, Nathan, I'm sorry to cut things short, but I hear the distant rumble of thunder, and that can only mean one thing. It's time for the lightning round. I want you both to reflect on what we've talked about today, distill it down, and summarize your response to about thirty seconds. Nathan, you're up first. What do other business leaders and CIOs need to be thinking about in terms of trust in the days and months ahead?
3: Sure. Create that third-party evaluation strategy that Alicia talked about. Uh, remember, your employees are on the front line, so continuously train them. You know, don't default to trust. Build a threat informed defense that Matt talked about. I think that's really important. Sanjay talked about building out zero trust. You remember governance is a a differentiator and an enabler. Uh, You've got identity and access management is at the heart of zero trust. And then remember when trust is broken, be ready to respond with a mature incident response plan.
0: Thank you, Nathan. Frank?
3: Yeah, I,
2: I wanna go back to the phrasing that we talked about with zero trust. The, the key learnings I think we've heard from Nathan is it's a, it's a process, it's planning, and it takes time. The, the one emphasis that I would always make is, yes, the, the various components of trust are all important, where we talk about security, risk, compliance, privacy, and social responsibility and ethics. But the number one focus for me is the outcomes, right? How do we use trust to create positive outcomes? Because when we focus on the outcome basis, A, we, we generate net new revenue. And as we generate revenue or decrease costs, it's a lot easier to get top management support when we're creating positive outcomes.
0: So Nathan, Frank, those, those are great insights. You know, despite the seriousness of the subject matter, this has been a really fun chat today, gentlemen. Nathan, Thank you so much for being here.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: And Frank, I'll be seeing you at work. (laughs) Great. My guests today have been Nathan Rogers, the CIO of SAIC, and Frank Dixon, Program Vice President of Security and Trust here at IDC. I'm Joe Puccerelli, and this is Future Enterprise. I hope you'll join us again next time when we're going to discuss the future of connectedness with the help of a real rock star in the healthcare sector, Angela Yoakum from Novant Health. And if you'd like to learn more about any of our other future of research practices, please just visit IDC.com. Bye for now.